This is Karen with Coach's Corner Chats. I just want to take a moment to say thank you, thank you, thank you for the support of this podcast. If you haven't done so already, hit that subscribe button and take a moment and fill out a review. It makes a whole lot of help in terms of growing and developing this podcast. Enjoy today's chat. Peace. Hey, this is Karen with Coach's Corner Chats, and joining me is Cody Bartlow. Cody, where are you at, and what are you up to? Yeah, so I'm at uh, Midland University. I'm the head women's soccer coach here. Uh, just getting into the the run of our spring season, starting training, always recruiting. You know, having the the good fun college coach lifestyle. Where is uh, Midland located? Yeah, so we're just outside of Omaha in Nebraska. So we're about 35, 40 minutes. West of Omaha, um, town of called Fremont. It was about 30,000 people or so. Um, but yeah, middle of Nebraska, very cold up here right now. So, <laughs> and what, uh, you mentioned spring. What are some of the things that you try to, to get accomplished during a, the spring season, quote unquote, like the off season, I guess, in a way? Yeah. So I look at spring as the start of our fall. Um, so we are right now, we're implementing our game model. We're putting in obviously how we want to defend was this week. Next week we'll put in kind of our some of our attacking stuff um, and just really building on the basis of our game model. the The hope is that the kids that are here currently will be able to then help train the freshmen that come in or the transfers that come in. Um, and so then when we hit season and when it really matters, um, we have the ability to be more creative, to be more open with how we play, and not be worried about doing everything quote unquote correctly. How long have you been at Midland? So this is my second year. Um, so I got up here. So we just finished, obviously, the the fall of our of my second year. So this is my second spring with the team. Got hired in late July um, two years ago, and so had very like no time at all. Um, came in, took the crew over that was here with the coach previously, and just started moving forward. When you took over. The- from the previous crew, what were some of the things that you were trying to like, you said, Hey, before the end of the year, I need to get certain things squared away. Like it sounds like you're talking about game plans and how we do our offensive tacking and our defending. But what were some of the things that first season coming in late like that, that you were hoping to get accomplished? Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is I'm, I'm a big culture coach. Um, So implementing culture first and foremost was the biggest transition that we made um, and that my focus has been on over the past year and a half. Um, we did change some of the way we played. We changed some of kind of when I came in, they had, they'd had a lot of success previously, um, had made a, an elite eight um, in the NAI national tournament and had some just talented players and they could play through them and those players could change games. Um, so when I came in, uh, we had very, very good players I didn't have that game changer um, that was always available. So we ha- we transitioned to more of a, a team-based play, more of a possession, positional play type of team. Um, so we've been putting that in over the past year and a half. But ultimately, was the, the culture piece was the biggest part for me. Um, you know, for me, I th- what I always say is if you come here and you win games and you win trophies and you get a degree and you get a great job and that's what you get, then I, I feel like I failed you because you've got to be part of something even more important, right? The reality is, is when you're sitting here at our age, 
We don't remember the score of the fifth game of our sophomore year. Mm-hmm. We remember hanging out with the guys or being in the buses or the locker room or, you know, kind of the dumb stuff that we look back on and say, well, probably shouldn't have done that, but <laughs> kind of fun lessons that we learned from it. So it's those type of things that ultimately we try to foster that I believe we have to foster um, in order to make the best of this this environment for the girls. When you talk about culture building, what are some of the things that you can do to create that? Like if other coaches hear, they, everybody hears that buzzwords of community and family and culture, but what's that even look like? Yeah, I think honestly, it's, it first starts for me with being open and honest, right? So um, I, my belief is I can't let, I can't have anybody follow me if I'm not willing to open up and, you know, kind of share my experiences and my positives and my negatives and totally who I am um, in order for that to see that, um, you know, you, you said the word family, that's what our culture is based off of is that word. Um, PJ Fleck, who's the head football coach at Minnesota had a great line and I, and he described because he describes family, they break it down as an acronym and they call it forget about me. I love you. Um, I thought that was tremendous. We've stolen that. Uh, so we use that now because the reality is, is every coach, you know, says they want community. They want their team to be a family, but depending on what kids you talk to, that could be a great word in their mind. That could be a very negative word in their mind. Right. Um, so being able to define it and kind of get everybody on the same page, similar to the way we play, I think is vital, but I think it all starts with, you know, as the leader, as the adult, am I willing to share who I am? Am I willing to be open with them? and not be afraid of judgment from them because ultimately they don't want to open up to me naturally because they're afraid I'm going to judge them. And then, you know, playing time affected or whatever it may be. I think that's everyone's fears. They don't really want to be judged by other people in a bad light. And so if you step up ultimately and open up, then that helps open those doors. And then obviously there's things you can do. So one of the first things we do is we share our whys. Um, so I have a letter from a former player that I read most of the time. I honestly tear up when I read it. Um, and that kind of has shaped my why my why has changed over the years of coaching. When I got that letter, that letter became my why. Um, and so I think it's just, again, it's having that openness, having that, that willingness to share and, and show that, you know, I don't have all the answers. I am not perfect in any way, shape or form. I'm a human being just like them. Um, and yeah, I think once you do that, that opens it up. Right. And then you can do all the team building things that you want to do that are great. But ultimately, if there's not a true open heart behind it, I don't think it really connects correctly. What was the start for Cody when it comes to soccer? Like, were you at it like at four and five years old or were you kind of a late bloomer? How, how did this whole kind of soccer passion come from? Yeah. So I started playing like when I was four or five little rec leagues or whatever um was never a big soccer guy honestly for a long time um so i'm 38 now i was born in 84 um the 94 world cup happened obviously in america um and my dad at the time had a friend named joe trezox who was a brazilian and so my 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 parents didn't care about soccer don't still don't care about soccer uh, <laughs> there was no there was no tie-ins anywhere like that but I was playing youth soccer like so many others do. Um, Joe knew I was playing and uh, asked if I wanted to watch the World Cup with him. 
So we went to this sports bar and watched the World Cup. And so I got to see, you know, my my favorite player for the longest time was Bebeto because in the 94 World Cup, he had just had his baby. So he scored and he did this celebration with the whole team where they're rocking the baby. And that's something that's stuck in my head forever. And then you see the passion and you see, um, I'm, you know, there's not a lot of better things than watching a soccer game with a Brazilian, watching the Brazilian national team with a Brazilian. It's like insane. <laughs> and I think that honestly just shaped so much. Um, and then played, played through high school. I honestly actually never played club because we were just broke and poor. Um, and so I never had those opportunities. And then I had kids young. So I was trying to provide for a family. Um, I started coaching when I was 17. Um, so I actually never even played college soccer because I went to Dallas Baptist University. And at that time, we didn't have a men's program. Uh, we'd had one and they had folded it and then they brought it back after I was done. I just hit this terrible window to be there um, for that purpose. Um, but yeah, so that was honestly the, the 94 World Cup is what really pushed me into the love of the game. Um, and then from there, coaching wise it actually started i had no intention of being a, a soccer coach that wasn't my career path i wanted to be a sports journalist and, and things like that and be on espn and all that fun stuff um but i did a senior project i had to do a senior project in high school like we all had to do it to graduate and i coached a u5 rec team little co-ed rec team and just fell in love with it and i've literally been coaching ever since so you talked about the the passion of the Brazilian, like when he took you to that. What what about it? What can you kind of give us a picture of what was that experience like as you're watching it? Because most of us watch, but what's the difference between like an, an American watching and a Brazilian watching? Yeah, so a Brazilian, my experience, right? So <laughs> I can't speak for all of them. A Braz, watching with a Brazilian in the World Cup when they're expected to win literally live and die with every pass. Mm. And it's just, and so I'm a, I'm a Manchester United fan. So, you know, it's Barcelona is playing Manchester United right now. I was watching the first half before this conversation, living and dying on every call, every, like, it's, it's just this thing that it's so different. Right. And I'm from, I'm originally from the Dallas area. So I grew up a Cowboys fan. I grew up, you know, mm -hmm. Texas, high school football, college football, pro football. We live that. Um, it's just something different. And I don't think words can ever explain it. It's just a feeling that you feel. You mentioned um, when the World Cup was coming up and your dad was like, yeah, whatever, go off and watch it. <laughs> what What has it been for him to kind of see how that sparked where you're at now? Like how – excited are they to see you rock and roll on at midland yeah uh honestly so i go back to that you know sometimes that family is a good word sometimes that's a bad word i don't know uh so you know i'm not really connected with my parents in any way shape or form it's funny i don't think it's funny maybe it's ironic that my culture is built off that word because that word honestly isn't necessarily the most positive for me um but this is one of those things that again like for me I share. Um, and I think this is what brings me close, closer with my players and stuff like that. You know, I honestly grew up in bars. I grew up, you know, parents drinking a lot. I would gamble from a very young age with my parents. I would, I would be in these situations where you probably shouldn't be. Like I remember being on my dad's lap, driving home 
while he probably should not have been driving and I'm steering like just crazy things. Right. But, you know, I think it all shapes us to who we are. And I, for me, I always kind of, it pushed me to do really well in school because I wanted a better life. It pushed me to be, to do really well. I think in my profession, at least I hope in my profession, because I want people to be successful and I want people to, you know, achieve the things and their passions that they're passionate about without hopefully having as many hardships as, as I've had to go through. Um, but yeah. The other thing you mentioned too, was having little ones at a young age. So how does that change your perspective on coaching and all this type of stuff? Like just going through even like the lack, not a positive kind of relationship with your parents. How does that change now when you have your own kids? Yeah, I think honestly, like, you know, you learn, you're learning how to be a parent, you're learning how to communicate with them, how to connect. So I have a son who's a senior um, and my daughter's a junior. So I'm up in by Omaha. They're still back in Dallas. Um, And so, you know, having that understanding of, you know, what's truly important, which is their health, what their well-being, um, you know, what their future is, what their goals are. You know, I didn't coach college for a very long time. I, I was in the college game and then I stepped away um, while they were growing up. And then I'm actually ahead of schedule for me because my plan was after they graduated to go back into it. Um, and then COVID threw a big old wrench into everything. And, um, and I have, so for me to be able to experience one, you know, how do I connect one to my son who is such an incredible young man? He's on the uh, autism spectrum, but he loves comics and he loves, you know, anime and he loves all these things that I honestly know nothing about. <laughs> right. And so how do I connect there? And then I have my daughter who is mini me, right. Honestly, plays soccer, loves the game, su- has such a great heart, um, is just such an incredible young woman. And to have those two give me the blessing to go chase my passion and my dream and what I feel my calling is, even though that means leaving them at, at a you know very tough time, um, has meant the world to me. So, you know, honestly being able to to see them and see their maturity at their age, as well as you know, thankfully being a time in an age and a time where we have like FaceTime and stuff like that, where connection isn't as distant, helps, but. Yeah, I mean, honestly, you're just always learning. I think it's the same way with coaching. I feel like I'm always learning. I'm always trying to learn. I would tell you I'm a much better better father to my daughter than my son. Um, I think my son would, because he's such a good kid, would be like, no, you're good. You're great. And I'm like, I know just because the connection is just so much easier because of the similar interests, right? Um, and so, yeah, long-ended went answer i don't even remember actually what you asked but (laughs) but yeah that's kind of how it is right so you go to uh the baptist university they don't have a team you had that class or that kind of capstone kind of program thing that you had and you talked about coaching the u5 team how does that lead into what's the next thing that happens for cody yeah so the the like capstone was actually in high school 
Okay. So I actually went there. Um, and then I had kids when I was 21, just coming out. I was still just taking JUCO courses at the time. Um, and then didn't go to school for a long time. Was coaching club um, in the Dallas area for a long time. Um, got divorced and then went to Dallas Baptist University. And then Michelle Leonard was kind enough to let me kind of be an undergrad manager slash observer um, when she was first starting at, at DBU. And so I did that for, for a season. And then um, Krasi Kolarov was, the he- was a former DBU grad, and he was the head coach at a school called Northwood University in Cedar Hill. Um, and so I went and worked there for him for a year and was going really well, loved it. And then they closed down the campus. And so that was my first experience of NAI closing down campuses, not being able to be there. And so I had a decision to make, and it was, do you go chase the college game when the kids are young and it's tough and you know, you're divorced, so you can't really just take them with you. Um, or do you put that on the back burner and then, go forward with life and, and be a father and, and do the things. Right. So I did the latter. I was a father, did club, um, ended up getting into the high school realms, was a, a high school coach at a private Christian school in the Dallas area, ended up getting promoted and moving up to being an athletic director there. Um, and then, like I said, COVID hit, everything shut down, had a lot of time reflection, looking at it. Um, and then that just kind of led to me getting back into the college game. And then thankfully getting a head job up here. So the experience of those two years where you were at DBU and then you moved on to, I think we said Northwood. Mm-hmm. Um, what were those experiences like when you look back? I mean, number one for a, those two coaches to say, Cody, come on in here. We're going to let you be a part of this. Um, and you kind of just going in not knowing exactly what you're getting into. What were those, what was that experience like those two years? Yeah, it was interesting. So at that time, I was actually 27 at DBU when I was doing my, I was still finishing my undergrad. Like I said, you know, having kids young puts your life kind of behind the, the timeline of normalcy. Um, but I was 27. I'd been coaching for 10 years. I'd coached at some of the biggest clubs in, in uh, Dallas. I was probably too egotistical, to be honest. Right. Probably thought at that age, like, oh, I know it. I know everything, blah, blah, blah. Waste, youth wasted. Um, but so I go in and meet Michelle and then I'm working with Michelle and I'm working with Jess Job, who's now the men's coach at DBU. Um, two great coaches. Michelle is an unbelievable recruiter. Just the way she creates connection with her players was great. And I didn't realize I was learning that at that time. But now that I look back, I'm like, I learned a ton then. Um, so one, it was that. Two, to watch Michelle was also great at allowing Jess to have input and to listen and to, you know, put things in. So, again, I learned a ton from Michelle without even realizing I was learning it. Um, I look back and reflect and I'm like, I learned how to ask others for help, how to admit I don't know everything at the time, um, how to, you know, understand that different viewpoints give make you a better coach that in reality it's truly your relationships as a coach that make you great at what you do not the x's and o's um so i learned all of those things from her and then jess and jess was 
Jess is still someone I talk to to this day. Can call him anytime. I, I consider him a friend and very thankful for him. Then moving over to Cro- to work with Crosby. Crosby is very much a different type of person. Again, connection was so big, though, with Crosby between his players and him. Um, there was a respect level that you felt from the players to Crosby that it was it was genuine. Um, and I think those are the biggest things that I learned. It wasn't necessarily how to run a drill or, you know, even how to recruit or anything like that or how to set up a practice. It was ultimately that connection and relationships are truly what guide everything to success. And both groups were successful, very successful in their teams and what they were doing. And so it was very eye-opening to see kind of what that looked like and how that transitioned. One of the things that kind of has been a theme throughout has been like dealing with adversity, be it like the relationship within your own like personal family to going to a school that then doesn't have a soccer program to then COVID. What is, how has that kind of maybe helped shape you to be the coach that you are now having gone through that? And and you were talking about being transparent with your players and all that type of stuff. How has that kind of helped you become a better coach at this point? Yeah. I mean, it's life, right? So unfortunately adversity is life. It's what we all face. Um, and so I think just having the experiences and going through it and then being where I'm at now, um, I think the way it helps relate and the help it tie the way it ties in is ultimately that it just gives an experience for them to look at. Right. Um, I don't know if it helps right now. Um, you know, we played a really tough semifinal game in the conference. We played an awful, well, we, we didn't play an awful. We played a decent first half with three massive mistakes and we were down three up. We come out at halftime. Our keeper gets kicked in the head 10 minutes into the second half. We have no keeper. And so we put a field player in goal and we come back and tie at three, three versus the undefeated conference champion. Um, and then we end up losing off a rebound four to three. Um, so we respond to adversity, right? So I would love to say that I've had a ton to do with teaching them that and all those things. The reality is, is I've got a great group who have had adversity through their lives um, and have responded. I think how it helps me is the fact that there's not a lot that happens that I haven't experienced or been through, right? Which most people would be like, that's too bad that you had to go through that. For me, it works great, you know, whether that be, you know, the childhood or dealing with different types of abuses that I've had to, you know, deal with, whether it be personally or with even with my kids and stuff. Like, you know, all those things feed into the ability to tie into people, connect with people and then and then help. So but adversity is part of it. You know, that's why I love the game. That's why I love soccer so much. And I didn't realize it when I first got into it, but soccer is the closest thing to, in my opinion, to life. Cause once that whistle blows, I can't do nothing. <laughs> I can make a sub. I can yell at a ref. That's about it. Right. They got to kind of figure it out. Um, and, and that's, that's life, right? We don't get the timeouts. We have to figure out how to get through that adversity and make ourselves better out of it. What has it been like, um, like coaching? I know you talk about club and all that. Have you always coached on the female side or has it been a little bit of both? Yeah, no, I've been primarily um, female. So I'd say since my third year on, I've always coached on the women's side. Um, at high school, I coached men's and women's. I coached both teams. 
Um, and so I did that for six years. So I've coached on both sides. Um, I'm very, very proud to be a woman's coach. Um, because for me, one, I think my culture piece just works way better and is more impactful. Um, I think my openness with who I am and my struggles and what my life has been does work better. Um, honestly, my lack of playing background because of my circumstances doesn't hinder me as much, um, just as with perception and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly proud to be a women's coach. I, I love it. You know, if you give me the choice, I'm going to choose the women's every day of the week. Um, I think they listen better. I think they're smarter. <laughs> I just do. They're just, they're really good at what they do. Right. Um, so yeah, just really proud of it, but yeah, most of it has been on the women's side. You mentioned the move from the Dallas, Texas area into Nebraska one, having to leave the kiddos behind, but what's, what's that, what's it like to go from like a Dallas, I mean, I think a big city and just lots going on to Nebraska. What's, what was that transition like for you? Just personally, even just the surroundings and location. Yeah, it is different. Um, when I go back home, um, the traffic is insane. But <laughs> no, uh, the weather is the biggest difference, obviously. You know, you go from four months in the hundreds to maybe 14 days, maybe a month in the hundreds. Um, the cold is cold. Like, I think it's negative one here today is like what it feels like. Um but then it's funny because then you realize you'll get out in 30 degrees and you're like, oh, it feels incredible. <laughs> like as a Texan, I'm like, what has happened to my life? <laughs> but um, no, Omaha is a really cool city. Um, obviously, nowhere near the size of the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex, um, but a really cool city. And it has everything you need. Fremont, thankfully, is, like I said, 30,000 people. So it's got its own little happenings going on um, and it's not too small. I love it. I actually live in Fremont, so I've got a kind of have the slower life pace lifestyle here, but then 30 minutes away and you have everything you could possibly want in Omaha, realistically. I go 50 minutes south and I go to the University of Nebraska and I'm watching the football games if we're not playing. Right. So then I get my kind of my football fix, my Dallas Cowboys, Jerry World type of fix. Um, and so it hasn't honestly, it hasn't been that drastic of a change as I thought it would. Now, if I would have moved to probably some small little college town, that would have been a bigger change. But having Omaha and Lincoln close to me, because, again, we in Dallas, we talk about everything's 45 minutes away anyways. So having Omaha that close, having Lincoln that close makes it makes it really easy for me, honestly. How does it come about that you and Midland connect? Were you sending things out like just re resumes or you just happened to see it or was it another coach to say, hey, Midland's looking for something or how did this whole kind of come about? Cause you said COVID and it's everything shut down. And then how does this like relationship here become what it is now? Yeah. So I was at, so I was the athletic director at the high school in Dallas COVID hit. Um, I had actually just gotten back from Scotland when it hit. So I spent a week over there working with Celtic FC. Um, so COVID hits. I caught up and actually got ahead of all my work as the AD because I knew I was going to be gone. Um, so I get back, COVID hits, life stops. And I'm like, I have nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 
kind of felt the the push to go back in the college game, talk to family about it. Decision was made. I'm going to go back to the college game. Um, applied for a ton of jobs, got no interest at all. And I'm like, man, 20, 20 years coaching. AD in the hottest, one of the hottest recruiting areas in the country. All my connections, all my ties to the area. I'm like, I know I can do a great job. No, nothing. So thought about it, realized I had to be back in the college game, had to be active. So uh, called a guy that I did my C license with, um, and he's the head coach at Southwest Christian University in Oklahoma City, and just called him. I was like, hey, can I come volunteer? I was like, I know you got your staff. I just need to volunteer. I go, honestly, probably a one-year thing. I just need – I got to get back in so I can actually get into the college game and get, get looked at for head jobs. So he was like, yeah, absolutely. End up – Get a, ends up with the ability to get me a thousand dollar a month stipend. Hmm. So I go coach at SCU, move up to Oklahoma City, coach there, drive down to Dallas twice a week to continue coaching club just so I can pay my bills. Um, because club soccer in Dallas plays way better than Oklahoma City. Um, but so I could pay my bills, I could see my kids. Um, so it worked out a lot of miles on a brand new car, but um, worked out. And then after that season, started putting out applications. And then that's how Midland came. Midland was one of a few different opportunities that I had. Um, I chose Midland because, one, I thought the people were amazing. Um, so my first phone interview, I said, y'all, which I say all the time. And the gentleman who's been up here for 20 years inter- doing the phone interviews from Plano, Texas, Dallas area. He's like, I haven't heard y'all in forever. There was connection there. So I'm like, we're already on a good path. Let's go. Um, going through the process, they had just hired a new athletic director, Courtney Thompson. She played soccer at University of Arizona. So I was like, Southern Connection, Texas Connection, check. Women's soccer AD, check. <laughs> Massive check, check, check. You don't get that very many places. Um, and then – you know, going through the interview process was was really cool. It was unique here. Um, part of it, I got to spend about an hour with the school president. And just to, again, for me, I think everything always comes back to being genuine. So the genuine interest she had in me and for me to go through that conversation and never feel like she was like, I got to get to this. I got to get to my next thing. Like it was just, I felt like I could have been there for six hours with her and she would have been invested for six hours, Right. And so just that genuine connection is kind of what made Midland be the right choice for me. You talked about recruiting wise earlier um, where the relationships really stood out to you was something you really took away now that you're in it. Is that one of the selling points? It sounds like the relationship you've got now with those that are running the, the university is like awesome people. Um, is that kind of a selling point for players to come in and play at Midland? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think so. One, I don't know many people like we recruit from all over, um, but we have a lot from the West Coast. I now have a bunch of like Texas kids coming up and we recruit um, local as well. Pretty heavy. And then we have I brought in internationals. I don't think anybody that's outside of Omaha, outside of Nebraska, sees themselves in Nebraska. I know I certainly never saw myself here. I love it here now, um, but I never saw myself here. And so kind of what, what you're talking to him about is like, yeah, like 
it's not where you originally probably thought because it's just not. But the fact is, is the generosity of the people, the genuineness of the people in the Midwest is awesome, right? Again, I'm from the South, so everybody talks about, you know, Southern charm and gen- Southern gentlemen, all that stuff. Midwest people are amazing. Like, <laughs> they're just amazing people, right? Um, and so those relationships and those connections are, are kind of what sells. We honestly do not have the best facilities. Like, I would say our facilities are bottom third of our conference maybe even um we have a great school we have great teachers um campus is nice but athletic facilities i don't have much i don't have a ton to sell um but yeah we're successful and we're successful in a lot of things and i think it is because it's just how good the people are and who they they actually truly care um I think my biggest selling point, honestly, is our academic resources. So we've got a a woman named Janet Lack that runs our academic resource center. So she helps run all the tutoring, uh, supplemental instruction where students can get tutored in tough tough subjects by someone who's been in the class with that same professor. So they know how they lecture. They know how they teach. They know how the tests tie in. Just like a really cool resource, honestly. Um, Her care about those students is evident from day one. And so, and you get that across the board. Um, And so, yeah, I think that's just kind of what sells people when they come to visit. Again, you feel it. It's hard to put things into words when it's a feeling, you know what I mean? But that's kind of the way it is. Uh, The other thing I was thinking about was early on, you had coaches that reached out to you and said, Hey, you can come be a part of the staff or even the one after COVID how quickly or how important was it for you to get someone else like other coaches on your staff um, that could, you could work with and you talk about being able to get feedback, someone else that's another pair of eyes gives another opinion for you to kind of hear. Yeah. So, I mean, my first season, I was completely by myself. Um, And then halfway through the year, actually our men's, our men's side, their assistant coaches got fired. Uh, And so I ended up taking over and helping them too. So my first year I was the head women's coach and then half the year I was a men's assistant coach kind of by default. Um, and so for me, it was always about, yeah, I would love to have help in here, but it's gotta be the right people. Right. Um, they can't just be somebody who wants to get in the game. They've got to want to get in the game for the right reasons. You know um, I'm all about helping people take the next steps in their relationships that are in their, in their career path. I will not help help them do that at the expense of the mental, physical, emotional, spiritual health of my young women that are under my, you know, for me, like I said, my daughter's place for someone else right now. And I take that very seriously. All these, all these girls that are part of my team are someone's daughter. And so they then become my daughters realistically, because that's how I see it. Like, so I'm very meticulous about who comes in and who helps. Right. So I went from having one, just me, to um, there's an Omaha, a gentleman from Omaha named Dave Henson, who had coached club in here for a long time, was coaching at a club that was centered on helping the underfunded or the players that didn't have a lot of money be able to play club soccer and get opportunities. Um, He's now my lead assistant coach. He's on a volunteer basis. Like he doesn't get paid. He actually, he runs his own businesses. So he's actually donated money to our program 
So I joke with him all the time. I'm like, how did I find someone that pays me to let you coach? Like, I don't get it, but I, I got lucky. So lucky. Um, so having him, we have a GA Tatum, who the girls absolutely adore um, and, and just love. And she's got the best heart and she wants to coach and she works her butt off and all the right reasons are there. And then we have another volunteer, um, Liam, who played on our men's side. He's an international from New Zealand um, and he just wants to help and he just wants to, to learn and be there and he'll, he'll drop anything he can to help the girls or do anything he can. So for us, it's all about, for me, it's all about having the people with the right hearts in place and then helping push them from there. Because again, I don't think people take it, took a chance on me because I was the best, the best coach, or I certainly didn't have the best resume because my playing resume wasn't there. Right. Um, they took a chance on me, I believe, because of who I was as a person, right? And so that's kind of what we look at as well is, you know, now they all have great resumes behind them as well. But, you know, whether it be Dave or whether it be even at the high school level, um, I coached against a guy named Robert Oliveri who started clubs in Dallas, was on um, the Dallas Boys Classic League board, who started programs um, at Liberty Christian, um, which is a big – big private school down there, you know, older than me. I won't say how much older than me because when he <laughs> listens, he'll kill me. Um, but he was, we coached against each other one year and then he decided to retire. I immediately called him. I was like, I need you to come help me and be my assistant coach. And he was gracious enough to do that. And so for me, like Dave and I were just talking about this yesterday, actually for me to be able to get Robert to come assist me and, nothing on you he got paid nothing realistically and then have dave come assist me and like i said he's basically paying me sometimes um to have that again i i believe i'm a good coach i believe tactically i can match up with a bunch of different people you know partly because i'm always trying to learn but it's so much about who you are and then and how you treat the girls and how you how we you know take care of each other that i think is what allows that to happen I think if that was forced, if that wasn't genuine, there's no way I would get the help that I get. There's no way. The other thing that I wanted to ask about is like, we see a lot of stuff out there where I want to go D1 or maybe I'll go D2. And then there's like Juco and there's D3 and then there's NAIA. What's, what's maybe your kind of like, why is NAIA a, uh, like a, an option that people should look at a little bit more seriously than what they sometimes do? Yeah, so I think NAI isn't looked at as heavy as it should be, um, in part because realistically, NAI does a terrible job of promoting NAI. <laughs> um, you know, like we don't want to compete, like for whatever reason. Um, and I'll probably get in trouble from somebody with that, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just it's just the same, right? Like I can turn on ESPN Plus and watch all kinds of D two and D ones. But I can turn on and watch teams that we've beaten playing on ESPN Plus, and I'm like, why, why are we not on there, right? <laughs> like I've beaten a bunch of those teams, um, and so it, I think that's a big part of it. Is it's just, I mean, the NAI is older than the NCAA, but it's not promoted, and it is not, and so perception is reality. That's just the rea- that's just the truth, and so the perception is it's below, and in some cases it is. I don't feel like it's below. I feel like it's different. 
a guy from Texas wherever huge, right? UT is like 70,000 students at the University of Texas, right? NAIs will never have a school that size. They're all small, individual, like more state-run type of, instead of federal government schools. That's the, kind of the, the setup of it. Why is it a, a viable option? One, the talent levels at some schools is unreal, right? There's more money available for it because they're all pretty much athlete-heavy schools. So the reality is it keeps the doors open. Um, so there's more money available. I'd say the other part, if you do well in smaller class sizes, NAI is a massively good option for you because the traditional NAI average faculty to student population is probably anywhere between 14 to 20 to one. So professors are going to actually know your name. They're going to know what you do. They're going to know what sport you play. They're going to know what your schedule is. They're going to care. Like we have, we have professors that come watch our girls play and then tell them great game on that Tuesday, right? They know how they played. They know what they did because they know that they're a name and not a number, right? Not saying that that's good or bad either way. It's just, if that's what fits you, that fits great. Um, and then I just think the ability to develop is also the, what gets cost as a downside in NAIA is that we have reserve programs or JV teams. Right. But on, in the soccer world, if you look at it, most a lot of the D1, D2s have 28 players on their roster. Right. You look at it, college season all the time. You have at least five kids injured all the time. Doesn't matter. The level. You have five kids injured. Right. So say you're one of those 23 that are healthy. Or if Europe is 32 on a roster, one of those 28 that are healthy. Well, if your coach only plays 16 kids a game. How are you developing? And if you know he's going to bring in a class of ECNL, GA, MLS Next, whatever it is, top kids, international top kids, are you truly going to get the chance to push and develop, right? What I, what I sell is you're going to be part of a great culture because I just will not fail at that, and I will do everything possible. Um, and then two, you're going to have the chance to compete every single day. The reality is, is our team in this fall, this coming fall, I would play against pretty much anybody outside of probably the top half of power fives. And I feel very good about what we do um, because we bring in super like really talented players that are maybe overlooked or maybe one of the smaller size. Like you can play at a super high level here, but the difference is if you're not at that level, you also have the chance to come compete every day in practice against very high level practice players but then also go out and play a reserve schedule. So then you get game time to develop and truly show that you can play at this level. Whereas if you're, if you're right in the bench at D one or D two or D three or Juco or anywhere, like you don't get that time. Right. For me, I would say, unless you know that you're going to go and be a, have a chance to truly compete for time in your first two years. NAI should be something you look at. D2 should be something you look at. JUCO should be an incredible thing that you look at. Like, I love the JUCO system. If you go to the right JUCOs, if you go to the right schools, because the JUCOs will play pretty much their entire roster, some, because their whole job is to help you move on, prepare you, get you, get you time, and help you move on, right? And so if it's – look, my daughter's a junior. 
if it came down to her being player 27 at a D1, at a you know a mid or lower D1, or playing at Salt, Salt Lake Community College or Iowa Western or Seminole State, I'll send her to Seminole State in a heartbeat because I know Daniel's going to do a fantastic job, not only developing her, treating her as an amazing young woman, but then also promoting her and getting her placed at the place where she's going to grow and benefit the program, their team, and then and, and get a great education all at the same time. And so I don't think that D1 is better. I don't think that NAI is worse. There are teams in D1. There's a bigger group of teams that are absolutely better. Let's be real. The coach I like admire the most is Anson Dorrance, right? He's D1. I admire the D1 coach the most, right? Connection-wise, Michelle Leonard is someone that I am so incredibly thankful for. Power 5 D1. Paul Jobson before her at Baylor, Power 5 D1, so thankful for them, right? There are fantastic coaches that I coach against that tactically I would even put up against other D1 coaches that I've played against or coached with or seen at the NAI level, at the JUCO level. Recruiting-wise, connections that Dan Hill makes at Seminole State, the ability of Adam Sanchez at Iowa Western to get great kids, the ability of Cassie at Salt Lake City to bring kids in and grow them and get them to play beautiful football and then move them on to great places that fit them and not be worried about like, Oh, it's it. We send everyone D one. She sends a ton of them D one, but she also sends D two D three and AI because she's just looking for the best part of her kids. Right. So I just think it's all about what do you truly want? I get why D one gets pushed. Right. I totally understand it. And again, my daughter's dream school is Baylor. If she had the chance and she won't play at Baylor, if she had the opportunity to play at Baylor, of course. Yeah, go all day long. You can go play for Michelle. You can play at your dream school. You can play with players that I've previously coached that you've known for years. Would love that for her, right? But if she came back and told me, hey, dad, I want to go to this D2. Perfect. If you feel like it's where you should be, love it. I want to go to this D3. Absolutely. The academics, the focus, the the life balance of being a student athlete there. I just don't want that D1 level 70 hour commitment. I get that completely. And so it's just, what do you want? And I think for me, my biggest thing is I wish everything was promoted clear, right? As opposed to this is kind of what you get as opposed to sometimes it's opinion, right? Like, Oh, Juco, if it had a different stigma, kids would be – if they weren't embarrassed, they'd be more willing to go to it. That's crazy. I sat there and watched Seminole State beat D1 teams consistently. You know, I've watched Salt Lake City beat D1 teams consistently. I've seen the talent that comes out of Arizona Western. Like, <laughs> like that's crazy to me. But, again, it's the, it's the perception is reality. And then now with social media, everyone's opinion becomes reality. And so you have these different accounts that promote everything like it's the gospel and it's just opinion. And so, but yeah, I mean, I think everything has its own place. I think D2 has its place, D3, NAI, JUCO, D1, they all have their place. The reality is I wish it was more about the kid 
I was, wish it was more about the player and who they're going to develop as a person, who they're going to develop into their career path, how they're going to develop with the relationships that they build. Because the reality is I do not want my daughter to go play D1 or play to D1 if off her team she doesn't have three bridesmaids. It's a reality. Because those are relationships, right? That's what I promote. Like That's the way we judge our success. I look at my players when they get married, and I look at how many of their teammates are bridesmaids. Or, because I'm competitive, I want them to be their maid of honor. I want them to meet their maid of honor here in my program. Because that means in the two to four years that they were with me, so say they're a JUCO transfer or they're a freshman coming in, two to four or five years they're with me, they met someone and we created a program that allows relationship and arouse allows true genuine this is who i am better than they've ever had it means that two to four or five year period they probably replace someone they've known for 10 12 15 years in that role right and so that's ultimately what it should be about it should be about that person developing as a person within the sport right obviously talent comes into play the ability, because we have to win, right? Let's be real. I have to win. It's part of my job. That comes into play. There are so many players in this world that play this game, right? I refuse to believe I can't find kids that help us win, but can also be bridesmaids, right? Or if I'm on the men's side, I refuse to believe I can't help find kids that help us win that will be best men for or groomsmen for their teammates, like, I just don't, th- I don't believe that's a reality. And maybe I'm wrong. I will die on that hill very gladly, creating great culture and trying to do great by my girls. That is a perfect way to shut this chat down. This is Kieran with Coach's Corner Chats with Cody Bartlow, and I'm out. Peace. What a great chat. Thanks for checking it out. If you haven't done so already, follow us on Twitter at Coaches Let's Chat. Hit that subscribe button. And once again, if you get a chance, drop a review. It's super, super helpful for growing the podcast. Have a good one. Peace.